we call a, um, a sitting practice period that goes for one day or more in, in Zen, a session. And um, I guess a session is like a, uh, a box of chocolates. You don't know what you're going to get. <laughs> to quote a phrase. Um, <clears throat> so it's traditional to uh, for the teacher to give what's called a Dharma talk, and um, it's lovely to see you all, you know, all here. Sometimes I think that uh, Zen can be seen as a form of play, or um, even performance art, <laughs> which we all participate in. Uh, not knowing what the event is going to bring. There's always that unknown aspect to it, which is um, always the interesting thing about a performance for any of you here who's been a performance artist in the past. <clears throat> My teacher, uh, Barry Majid, uh, used to always say things like, um, just pretend you're already enlightened and that what we're doing here is a post-enlightenment session. So basically you're expressing your enlightenment at each moment. Don't chase after enlightenment. You already are enlightened. And, uh, and it's okay to enjoy meditation. Sometimes it might not seem very enjoyable, but uh, sometimes it can be joyful and sometimes not so. But um, it's part of my intention here to uh, facilitate a practice which is reasonably enjoyable. Um, as you can see, we don't sit for long periods of time and uh, I think it's important to be gentle and kind to our bodies. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm going to um, start the talk today by reading out a poem by a poet you probably are aware of, a 13th century Islamic poet and scholar, and uh, a Sufi mystic by the name of Rumi. So the poem that many, many of you may have read is called The Guest House. This being human is a guest house. Every morning a new arrival a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Entertain them all. Even if there are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably he may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond.
as you all know, there are lots of metaphors that we use in Zen, and the guest house is another lovely metaphor. We can think of hospitality towards strangers, and um, letting the other in uh, with a sense of hospitality with a sense of welcoming, um, with the sense of the guest house being a refuge for all those who we may wish to exclude. Now as we know, um, living with other people can be difficult at times whether they're family or friends or strangers. But what the guest house is alluding to, I think, is the, the strangers, the outsiders, uh, the different parts of ourselves. Sometimes when we're sitting and uh, we're aligning ourselves with our aspirations to awaken, we can definitely experience joy and um, a sense of lightness and ease, and ease of being. And these are delightful guests. They stay a while and they go. So it's important that uh, we don't try and hang on to them or grasp onto the, the guests that we like. Um, if we try and hang on to the guests that we like, then usually it will backfire in some way and we'll, we'll create some unnecessary suffering for ourselves. But in the same way, there's lots of guests that um, are um, maybe not really our favourite guests. Um, as Rumi alludes to in the poem, the, uh, the depression, the meanness, the sorrow, the dark thought, the shame, the malice. He says, meet them at the door laughing. So, um, how can we interpret that in terms of our practice? The sense in which we um, try and meet ourselves in the different parts of ourselves, including the, the more difficult emotions, with a, the same sense of um, acceptance and inclusion, not wishing to push them away. Inevitably, um, from very early in our lives, we've learned to push these things away, these, these more difficult emotions, because uh, they're not pleasant to be with often. Um, 
you can see the, imagine the guest house as having multiple rooms, multiple stories. And um, some of those stories or um, parts of ourselves we might like to keep hidden in the basement. Compartmentalized, locked even. That can be adaptable at the time. We can only open the doors to these more difficult guests as we mature, when we are ready. And I guess Zen practice is another path of maturity. Um, willingness to to open ourselves to experiencing all the different parts of ourselves that perhaps in the past we've been unwilling to experience. Joko Beck, the, the founding teacher of the Ordinary Mind School, um, used to always say things like, remember your ABCs. Uh, she meant by that a bigger container about how the Zen practice can be about building a bigger container. So that we're able to contain and be willing to be with all these different guests. The, uh, the welcome guests and the not-so-welcome guests, and to meet them all with the same sense of hospitality. I'm going to introduce you to another koan from the, uh, the Gateless Barrier, or sometimes translated as the Gateless Gate. It's one of the most famous collections of koans collected by a Zen monk called Wumen Kwan, or sometimes called the Mumen Kan. Um, before I actually read the case, um, I need to read you a little folk tale. Um, it's a Japanese folk tale. A little fairy story, if you like. It's a story about a girl named Chian. <clears throat> There lived in the province of Hangyan a man called Chang Qian, whose child daughter Qian was of peerless beauty. He also had a nephew called Wang Chao, a very handsome boy. The children played together and were fond of each other. Once Qian jesting, jestingly said to his nephew, Someday I will marry you to my little daughter. Both children rem remembered these words, and they believed themselves thus betrothed. When Qian grew up, a man of rank asked for her marriage, and her father decided to comply with the demand. Qian was greatly troubled by this decision. As for Chao, he was so much angered and aggrieved that he resolved to leave home and go to another province. 
The next day he got a boat ready for his journey, and after sunset, without bidding farewell to anyone, he proceeded up the river. But in the middle of the night he was startled by a voice calling to him, Wait, it is I! And he saw a girl running along the bank towards the boat. It was Chien. Chow was unspeakably delighted. She sprang into the boat, and the lovers found their way safely to the province of Chu. In the province of Chu they lived happily for six years, and they had two children. But Qian could not forget her parents, her father, and often longed to see them again. At last she said to, she said to her husband, Because in former times I could not bear to break the promise made to you, I ran away with you and forsook my father, although knowing that I owed them all possible duty and affection. Would it not be well now to try and obtain his forgiveness? Do not grieve yourself about that, said Chow. We shall go to see him. He ordered a boat to be prepared, and a few days later he returned with his wife to Hanyang. According to custom in such cases, the husband first went to the house of Qian, leaving Qian alone in the boat. Qian welcomed his nephew with every sign of joy and said, How much have I been longing to see you? I was often afraid that something had happened to you. Chow answered respectfully, I am distressed by the undeserved kindness of your words. It is to beg your forgiveness that I have come. But Kian did not seem to understand. He asked, To what matter do you refer? I feared, said Chow, that you were angry with me for having run away, ran away with Qian. I took her with me to the province of Chu. What Qian was that? asked Qian. Your daughter, Qian, answered Chow, beginning to suspect his father-in-law of some malevolent design. What are you talking about? cried Qian, with every appearance of astonishment. My daughter, Qian, has been sick in bed all these years, ever since the time when you went away. Your daughter, Qian, returned Chow, becoming angry, has not been sick. She has been my wife for six years, and we have two children, and we have both returned to this place, only to seek your pardon. Therefore, please, do not mock us. For a moment the two looked at each other in silence. Then Kian arose, and motioning to his nephew to follow, led the way to an inner room where a sick girl was lying. And Chao, to his utter amazement, saw the face of Qian, beautiful, but strangely thin and pale. She cannot speak, explained the old man, but she can understand. And Kian said to her, laughingly, Chow tells me that you ran away with him and that you gave him two children. The sick girl looked at Chow and smiled, but remained silent. Now come with me to the river, said the bewildered visitor to his father-in-law, for I can assure you, in spite of what I have seen in this house, that your daughter Chian is at this moment in my boat. They went to the river, and there indeed was the young wife waiting. And seeing her father, she bowed down before him and besought his pardon. Kian said to her, 
If you really be my daughter, I have nothing but love for you. Yet though you seem to be my daughter, there is something which I cannot understand. Come with us to the house. So the three proceeded towards the house. As they needed, they saw that the sick girl, who had not before left her bed for years, was coming to meet them, smiling as if much delighted. And the two Chians approached each other, but then, nobody could ever tell how, they suddenly melted into each other and became one body, one person, one Chian, even more beautiful than before, and showing no signs of sickness or of sorrow. Kian said to Chao, Ever since the day of your going, my daughter was dumb, numb, dumb, didn't speak, and most of the time like a person who had taken too much wine. Now I know that her spirit was absent. Qian herself said, Really, I never knew that I was at home. I saw Chao going away in silent anger, and the same night, I dreamed that I ran after his boat, but now I cannot tell which was really I, the I that went away in the boat, or the I that stayed at home. And the, um, the case is, uh, Wusu asked a monk, the teacher asked a monk, the woman, Qian, and her spirit separated. Which is the true Qian? And uh, the comment by the, the person who collected the cases, women, is, if you realize the true one, then you'll know that emerging from one husk and entering another is like a traveler putting up at an inn. If this is still not clear, don't rush about recklessly. When you suddenly separate into earth, water, fire and air, you'll be like a crab dropped into boiling water, struggling with your seven hands and eight legs. Don't say I never told you. Doesn't sound very nice, does it? And women's verse, the moon and the clouds are the same. Mountains and valleys are different. All are blessed. All are blessed. Is this one? Is this two? So, it's a nice little metaphor there um, about um, where he says. Um, If you realize the true one, then you'll know that emerging from one husk and entering another is like a traveler putting up at an inn. So, um, we could see how we all have um, different parts to ourselves. And um, sometimes we might be the... Uh, the angry part, sometimes we might be the part full of self-doubt or self-loathing, sometimes it might be the confident part. Um,
and we can see how we um, we can almost like you know transmigrate through these different parts of the self on a regular basis throughout the day. And the question is being asked: Well, which is the true Andrew? If we, if we continue with the, the guest house metaphor, um, you know, we could have so many different guests in our house, which is the true Andrew. Or we can also look at it from a point of view of the psychological um, theory of dissociation. There's a sense in which um, uh, we all dissociate as a normal aspect of daily life sometimes. I mean, even like driving along in the car when we're on automatic pilot, we've sort of gone somewhere else. Um, there's a sense in which um, there's many ways in which we can leave our body and go somewhere else. Um, many times when we're, we're not in the present moment where we're We're suffering about what might happen in the future or caught up in regrets about the past. And, and we often see patterns which come up, these patterns which go right back to our earlier days. Um, when you think about it, it's very hard to separate the other from the self. You know? How we get to know ourself is often through the relationship we have with our intimate others. And uh, what our others, what our intimate others or our caregivers are able to tolerate um, is often what we're able to tolerate in ourselves. But sometimes if our caregivers are not able to tolerate anger, for example, or sadness, then we might also find it difficult to tolerate that. So there's a tendency to sometimes to dissociate from various aspects of ourselves. And of course, in the more severe forms of, of um, psychic shock, that creates a trauma. The shock is so overwhelming that um, there's actually um, we split off, and uh, people can literally leave their bodies. Um, and um, those parts can be split so that we have no memory of those other parts. In the extreme form of what's called dissociative identity disorder. People can actually have identities um, which they switch into like that. And uh, they become a different identity. And uh, while they're that particular identity, they have no memory of the what's sometimes referred to as the host identity. So there's a sense of um, even memory gets splitted, split off. And um, there's basically two, 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 two theories in psychotherapy about how you work with that. One is a sense in which there's a kind of process of integration um, where I guess in a sense this, this, this koan may allude to where the the two, the two halves that are split off in the daughter. And notice too, the, because of the split, you know, one half is, 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 quite, is, is depressed and sick. 
this notion of when we do split off that we're losing some sense of vitality and aliveness. And so this is one idea is a notion of uh, a gradual integration of the parts and, uh, and eventually a kind of unity. Uh, another uh, way of uh, theory in terms of uh, how you work with these split off parts is actually to um, to see the actual notion of unity itself as being a bit of an illusion, but a necessary illusion. Um, but the path is to actually get to know the different parts, get to dialogue with the different parts, and become willing to be the different parts. Um, and um, and in, in a sense, there's a, uh, a notion of continuity and uh, coherence is, is essential to living as a human being. Um, but we do know also in Buddhism how Buddhism talks about the actual there's no substantive self. Um, and, uh, but we do need some sense the illusion of continuity in order to live our lives. But if there's no, if we do, if we are a multiplicity and there is no unity, um, what is it about our practice that can um, help us to bring about this integration process? And sometimes you might think of the uh, of the guest house notion, you know, the uh, kind of like what's what is it that meets and greets each guest? It may not be separate from the guest, but it's, it's not the guest. Um, some sense of being able to give each guest back some space. And if we greet them with loving acceptance, you know, this sense of there is a kind of what's sometimes referred to in Zen as the heart mind. Um, you can almost see the heart mind as the host that sort of is able to accept all these different guests. And uh, without judgment, and uh, at first it might be difficult to do that, you know. Um, some of those guests we don't want to experience. But little by little we develop a tolerance for them. You know, but what happens if we fall asleep? You know, the, if our open awareness, the, the gateway in which we let these guests in, falls asleep, and we lose that sense of being mindful of them, well, that happens all the time, really, in our day-to-day -day lives, how we fall asleep, and all before we know it, there's a, a guest who's taken over the house. If the guest is fear, then, you know, they might want to lock all the doors, and, and um, or the guest might be anger, and before we know it, we've done something we might regret. Um, might just be a fleeting thought or an image. But... Over time, as we practice Zazen, we develop a faith and a trust that we will come back. We will come back to our sense of clear awareness, back to our heart-mind, um, back to the sense of being awake in this moment. And um, when we do that, again, we, we open our heart and mind to these different guests. 
And when we're able to open our heart-mind without, without reaction, without judgment, they settle down. They might stay a little while, then they pass on through, and the next one comes. We don't react, and we don't judge, we don't get caught into them, we settle down, and then the next one comes. After a while we get, you know, we get a sense of, oh, this is a familiar guest, I know this guest pretty well, you know, self-doubt. Um, I can let that in, it's okay. And it doesn't take over the guest house, I get on with my life. And so, what the process of Zazen can do is that gradually and gradually it strengthens our ability to what some people refer to as the observer self, um, the sense in which we can identify as being the host rather than the guest. And the more and more as we practice, we identify more and more as the observing self. And then eventually, in some moments, even the observing self just disappears. And then there is just this, just this moment. And we're one with the universe. <laughs> so, um, any, any, any questions or uh, comments? Just wanted to finish with a nice um, the end of the uh, piece of poetry that you're probably all familiar with um, from the Four Quartets by T. S. Eliot, which is about you know this this theme for today of exploring our exploring our guest house and uh, exploring ourselves each moment with a sort of open-minded curiosity, greeting each moment. With, with a willingness to be that moment, whatever that moment will, will, is. We don't want to try and fix or change the guests in any way. We just want to allow them to be. So. We shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. Through the unknown remembered gate, when the last of earth left to discover is that which was the beginning. At the source of the longest river, the voice of the hidden waterfall and the children in the apple tree, not known because not looked for, but heard, half heard in the stillness between two waves of the sea. Quick now, here, now, always a condition of complete simplicity, costing not less than everything. And all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well, when the tongs of flame are enfolded into the crown not of fire, and the fire and the rose are one.